UCM The Beat, the one and only radio station of the University of Central Missouri. Welcome back to Voices of UCM. I'm your host, Abram Tabor. Today, we're joined by Dennis Pearson, who is a self-defined, non-traditional student. He's 72 years old and a lifelong learner. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you have a pretty extensive portfolio uh, throughout all your time. You've done a lot of medical work and volunteer work throughout your time. You've been a firefighter, EMT. You've been an Army LPN, combat and flight medic. Could you give us a little bit look into the different things that you've done just to give an overview? Well, I've had uh, 36 years as an emergency department RN and a total of 48 years in the medical field. And I started that off as a firefighter EMT, uh, but then decided that uh, it was time to join the military and get some further experience. And so I became a combat medic and a flight medic. And, and then uh, a couple years later, uh, became a military LPN, a licensed practical nurse. And, and I worked every area of the hospital, and uh, including neonatal units and surgery and... and uh, uh, so I have quite a diverse background, but by going in the military, I gained within four years the equivalent of, I would say, 10 years of experience out here in the civilian world. Hmm. After all that experience, you're still committed to learning. You're pursuing a crisis and disaster management degree, and you've gotten quite a few certificates already in that course. Even though you've had these all these lifelong experiences, what drove you to come back to college and keep learning? Let's say I'm altruistic and uh, serving others, and so I thought, let's say, coming back and uh, finishing my degree in emergency management or CDM uh, is going to help me achieve more of that and guide and and, uh, and coach others as they come up th- into the field, and so they don't feel so frustrated whenever they start off as a new person in emergency management. Mm. And what's some of your experiences already about like being a mentor to others in the field? I have belonged or still do uh, to a couple groups on Facebook uh, that are new students or currently students uh, that uh, are graduating or have graduated and uh, feel lost uh, trying to find jobs or positions. They don't know really where to look. They're trying to look locally. Uh, then they get frustrated when they find out uh, about the low income levels that they're going to have if they do it locally. Uh, the salaries are very low. Uh, and uh, But I want them to look at a position that uh, when they graduate that they're going to be happy to do every day when they walk into work and continue to do that every day. The problem is is that a lot of people become frustrated and they jump from job to job about every four years. Uh, and sometimes less, and uh, and so they change careers, and so I'm trying to help change that. Mm. Now, that's not to say that bouncing around careers isn't exactly a bad thing. I know that you've had a few, as we mentioned earlier. What would you say for students who are currently looking at pursuing a career and they're not certain what they want to go into, what advice would you give to them uh, as far as what direction to look in? 
since you said that you want to mentor students who aren't certain what they're going into when they leave college. What about students who are currently at college? What direction would you give them if they're like uncertain about where to go? If they have an idea as to what they think that they would like to do, then I'd recommend them to start volunteering and within the, the communities that they live in uh, or even here on campus uh, that would give them that experience to know whether or not, yeah, is this something that I really want to do? Uh, I've had quite a few people that after they've done that, they said that, no, this isn't for me. And, uh, and so, you know, why waste, you know, two, three, four years uh, trying to get a degree in something that you're not going to be satisfied in, and then all of a sudden change it, and, and then you switch to programs. And One of the things that you obviously want to talk about is all the volunteer opportunities that students have in and around the community. Uh, what would you say are some really good ones to for students who are interested in things like medical or social work or things like that? What would be good for students to get involved in? There's a lot of different programs and almost every uh, department within the university uh, uh, could have students uh, get involved with the, for those experiences. Uh, a good example is within the fire department here within the city. They have a program uh, within fire services uh, to where students can stay right there at uh, one of the fire stations and they get experience uh, uh, with actually, uh, let's say, working with the firefighters. And, uh, and the same thing with emergency management or EMS. Uh, individuals can volunteer. I know some that uh, are doing that, uh, you know, working with them. And it can be within the city or, or within the county or other areas that they live in. Um, and then we also have like Habitats for Humanity, where individuals can work within the community to help others. Uh, and feeding and sheltering is uh, something else that I've been involved with here in the community, and it's needed immensely. We have uh, uh, people that, uh, let's say, have been overlooked and still are being overlooked and need to get in the system somehow. Uh, also, working with the public health department would be a good way to, to do a lot of this. And then we have people that can also do geospatial mapping and, and uh, to assist with various agencies to determine, uh, let's say, like what levels um, uh, or targeted populations that we're talking about. Boy, I'm starting to go blank. Uh, <laughs> underneath emergency management, uh, they could... Uh, work with the uh, uh, county emergency management agency uh, and uh, or they could also uh, volunteer with a CERT program which is a community emergency response team and get a lot of experience that way if they're interested and uh, but there's so many different avenues that an individual can take in order to get those a lot of those experiences um, but uh, get out into the community and start serving Got to think about my next question now. That's a, <laughs> that was a really, really thoughtful uh, response. You had a lot of information in there, obviously. You mentioned a lot of different teams and public service things there from being working with a volunteer program at the fire department or the CERT team. Could you give us a little bit more of a look into what all – so the CERT team is obviously sort of a local – very local example of what that looks like that can be found in a lot of different places. So what does a CERT team look like? What is volunteering with them? 
what is that experience like? Okay, you fall underneath the city or the county uh, that is, uh, let's say, uh, sponsoring the CERT team. And uh, in this case, it's Johnson County Emergency Management Agency. Uh, we have a pretty good team that's out here that uh, gets involved. Uh, we travel around uh, uh, two different regions, actually. And we go around and also teach uh, CERT to other communities and counties. And, but that's getting out into doing search and rescues uh, for individuals. Uh, we also uh, go on out and do disaster relief. And that could be anything from cutting trees up uh, to clear roadways and other things like that. Uh, it can also be assisting, uh, like when we had the COVID uh, situation where we would uh, assist the public health department giving shots and stuff for those that were qualified. But the whole concept of uh, CERT or Community Emergency Response Team is that you take care of those around you first and then you take care of your neighbors or your department offices uh, nearby and then uh, from there then you uh, branch out into what we call a uh, collection area or staging area and then we meet with other people with the teams and then we assist the rest of the responders in the community. Mm. What's like a powerful experience that you've had working with CERT? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I would say getting involved with a couple of the searches for missing people uh, because usually they don't have enough individuals uh, that are available to do so. And it takes a lot of time and effort and energy. And so by the time you throw on your backpack and you get out there in the field and get your assignment and, and, and you're looking for certain clues and that uh, whether or not you find somebody alive or deceased and that at least uh, your goal is to try to resolve that situation. And, there's others that I've just worked with logistics side of it. Uh, whenever we had some of the flooding up north uh, that we got involved with, and uh, uh, and then also same thing with uh, sawing up some of the trees, moving uh, limbs and other debris. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today. We'll be right back with Mr. Pearson right after this. Oh, hi. Right now I'm getting a remarkably heartfelt bear hug from Smokey Bear. Thanks, big guy. Now, if you could let me down. Uh, see, I made sure there were no low-hanging branches when I set up my campfire. And before we left, I drowned out my campfire, stirred it, drowned it out again, then made sure it was cold. Uh, visit SmokeyBear.com to learn tips to prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to Voices of UCM. We're here today with Mr. Dennis Pearson, a self-described lifelong learner. He's 72 years old, has a lot of experience out there in the field, whether it's volunteer work or working with the Army as a combat medic. But he's here today to talk with us and share his experiences a little bit. Uh, we talked a little bit about, at the start of the interview, how you've been so involved. Uh, you've had a lot of experiences out there in the field, out there in the workforce. What made you decide to come back and study as a college student here at UCM? Everything is changing so rapidly that it's difficult to keep up 
with all of the changes. And especially with me in the medical field and emergency management and all the technology that's out there right now, and it's hard for me to keep up with the technology. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when I'm on missions or deployments uh, for hurricanes, disasters, I found out that I ended up having to assign somebody to be my mission IT person and that just to handle internet access and uh, and say handle problems along the way and so I'm going okay maybe I need to start taking classes on these too but mm-hmm. uh, uh, but primarily I'm involved with disaster management and so that's why I chose the CDM program uh, and but I'm all, like I said I'm a lifelong learner and with a lot of my experiential learning uh, with all of the experiences that I've had, I've learned that uh, I'm really a newbie, even though I've been in the field for 48 years. Um, there's so many things t- yet to learn. That's why it's nice to work with uh, younger uh, people within the fields uh, that I work with and, uh, and learn from them and then f- for them to learn from me also. And so I believe in what's called the andragogical uh, learning concept, and that's uh, to where you do small group type learning, and rather than pedagogical to where you you sit there in the audience and you have an instructor just sit there and feed the information to Mm -hmm. you. And, uh, but we gain more learning experiences uh, from working together as a team and, uh, and within small groups. I try to follow that as much as possible within the leadership uh, that I try to provide. And, uh, and so that was something else that I thought in order for me to be a more effective leader uh, within the organizations that I'm with, I need to come back to school and keep learning. And we need to get more people, uh, even in their older ages, uh, to get involved with learning and keep going with it. Um, and like what had been mentioned uh, earlier was that uh, a lot of people, they, let's say, leave school with either bachelor's or master's degree. Uh, they go into work for uh, 10, 20, 30 years and then realize that I'm, I have something missing here. So then they come back to school again. And, uh, and so we need to get uh, people of older ages to get involved, and especially like within nursing, a lot of nurses uh, aren't, uh, let's say, within their teens and, and 20s as nursing students. A lot of them are coming back where the average age is 35 now. Mm. Uh, and so we got to look at that also on that as educators um, as to, you know, how do we, let's say, influence and keep people motivated to keep learning and learning what their, uh, let's say, characteristics of learning are as students. And a lot of times we uh, forget about that. And do we actually look at uh, what is the learning style and what is their capabilities uh, for comprehension and stuff like this? Do we know what their reading and, uh, and comprehension levels are in order to get things across? Especially when you look at a lot of objectives within uh, courses and stuff and mm-hmm. curriculum syllabuses, uh, they're written usually at a 12th grade level when the average reading level is 6th grade or less and stuff. And, uh, and you see that a lot of times in papers and discussions that students have 
Um, and but uh, we need to correct a lot of that. And but that's an internal type thing. But individuals need to get out and and learn how to let's say change their errors, their mistakes. And the only way to do that is continuing learning. That doesn't have to be formalized like coming here on campus, which I enjoy doing online learning. Just wish I could do it in classes. <laughs> Uh, but it can be informal, and uh, by taking continuing education classes, uh, and uh, or even uh, just going to the library and, and picking up a book and starting to read about a topic and learn about it, uh, develop a new hobby, uh, develop new skills within that. Good example is like right now within the Coast Guard. We're looking for people uh, that have various foreign languages, and we're looking for individuals with culinary art skills and that, that can go out on the Coast Guard cutters and, and help uh, relieve those uh, cooks that, uh, or chefs that, let's um, say, need to be off or ill or whatever and stuff. A lot of anything else from uh, mechanical, electrical, uh, carpentry, uh, construction, engineering, so many different aspects. And then, like with me being involved with Civil Air Patrol, we do a lot of disaster relief. We do a lot of search and rescue. But we're also teaching youth uh, about uh, uh, aviation. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, we try to get more students here within the aviation program at UCM involved. At one time, we had uh, 27 students uh, that were involved in the program and three faculty. And now we're down to only just a few <laughs> because everyone's graduating and st along the way. But this way they get a different perspective uh, within the community and, uh, and serving others. And also it gives them a chance to learn something different and with a different perspective and viewpoint. Now, one of the things that we talked about earlier was people who go out into the workforce. And you said this, too, just recently about how people spend 10, 20, 30 years working on something and then are like, oh, I need to go back and learn more. Is there, to me, I feel like a lot of that might be sort of a one-track mindset is going into my major, I was like, I'm going to do this and only this, and that's what I'm going to shoot for. And that's not an unhealthy thing for growth, but I feel like a lot, like you mentioned how uh, the the Coast Guard is looking for culinary arts people and everything from mechanical engineering to, to as you said, culinary arts or people in the medical field. Do you feel like people often don't look at other options than the one that's like right in front of them that they are like, this is the one I want? Is that part of the problem maybe? I wouldn't say it's a problem. I think it's just that people uh, haven't opened up their minds to question as to what would I, let's say, be happy doing? And and how can I go about doing that? And uh, what corrections do I need to do? A uh, lot, I think the biggest reason a lot of people uh, don't come back to school or do formal or informal learning, non-traditional learning, is that uh, uh, they've been so involved with their families and, and say, getting that income and everything else in and getting their kids raised, and, and so uh, that takes up a lot of their time. And so most people say that uh, I don't have time to learn, I don't have time to volunteer because I'm so busy. Uh, and yet we have a lot of people that are able to do that if it's enjoyable to them. 
And so that's one of the aspects that I tell people in that, you know, look at what's going to be enjoyable for you to where you want to look forward to going to work or going to volunteer uh, or doing something else. But yet doing that balance between family, yourself, and, uh, and helping others. All right. We'll be right back with more of Mr. Pearson right here on Voices of UCM. So stay tuned. Hey everybody, Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Voices of UCM. I'm Abram Tabor, and today we're here with Mr. Dennis Pearson. He's an amazing guy who's a lifelong learner. He's been committed to a lot of different volunteer programs. He's worked with the Coast Guard. He's currently serving as a member of, uh, serving as a, what was that, a battalion? It, it, I'm a leader or commander and uh, for the Coast Guard Auxiliary and uh, for all of Kansas and Northwest Missouri. And before that, uh, I was commander that's equivalent of a colonel, and uh, uh, to where I also uh, was the, let's say, leading um, uh, units uh, in Colorado and Nebraska, Iowa, Wyoming, uh, besides here. Mm. So all of these amazing experiences, and then you come back to school, and I heard that a lot of the financial opportunities that are available for students aren't really available for older learners, people who are coming back to college, and that you've been pushing the university to try and make that a little bit more available for students of older age. Uh, could you t tell us a little bit about that? I uh, run into quite a few frustrations in obtaining grants and scholarships. and. Uh, uh, if I wanted to continue in the nursing program, there's a lot of funding out there um, in certain other uh, positions and fields. And, and, but most of the, uh, let's say, funding available that uh, students can obtain are primarily for those that are at a younger age. And uh, so when we're talking about young adults, and that's primarily where, let's say, a lot of that funding is geared towards. Yes, there's a lot of other grants and scholarships that you can apply for for private organizations, um, but that becomes a lengthy process, and that becomes frustrating trying to fill out some of the paperwork. Uh, and here within UCM, uh, for older students, yes, when we had classes uh, on campus the majority of the time, uh, stu uh, older students, non-traditional students, uh, they could take the classes for even free or they could uh, uh, edit them uh, and just walk in and not, you know, take tests and stuff like this, but yet still do the learning. And But with most of the courses going online, that has changed and stuff. And, uh, uh, and But we still do not have a, let's say, process within the university that I'm, let's say, frustrated with and that uh, we say have financial uh, scholarships and grants uh, available or even low-cost uh, fees 
for courses uh, for non-traditional students, especially older students, when they come back into the program. And so I've approached uh, the university uh, to see about getting uh, lower fees uh, for older students and also for individuals that um, are more involved, uh, uh, like the military that have been in it before, uh, or individuals that are uh, volunteers and, and everything, to get them back into the learning system. And, uh, and, if, uh, and most people are having a lot of financial problems nowadays. And so I try to encourage everyone to you know, research and get as much information as you can, apply for every grant, every scholarship you can. The problem is most of them are only like for $1,000 and or $2,000, and then you're limited as to how many or, or how many years that you can obtain those, and depending upon which route that you go. And so finances is a big consideration, especially when you're looking at older adults uh, that are on a fixed income. And, and you really can't afford it. Like for me to take all of my classes over the last few years, I've ended up having to pull out all of my funding out of my retirement in order to pay for my classes. Mm. That's why my wife is frustrated <laughs> that, well, you don't really need to take these classes. We can't afford it. And I says, yes, we can. And I says, it's worth it in the long run. And, uh, you know, we need to look at... Uh, uh, funding resources you know, for a lot of individuals uh, that, uh, let's say, are in low socioeconomic status uh, and for those that are non-traditional like me and being at an older age. Hmm. And especially for older age, you mentioned before that some degree programs and programs you don't even qualify for. So what does that like look like for somebody who's interested in pursuing uh, new learning as you go throughout life that some of those become closed off to you? Uh, they may take a class or two and, uh, and then become so frustrated that uh, they start looking elsewhere. And so we see a lot of people going to other universities or online programs nowadays. Uh, a lot of the online programs are more expensive, and uh, uh, UCM, actually, uh, the costs are pretty inexpensive compared to a lot of other schools. Uh, I've been asked to teach at uh, uh, St. Louis University uh, in a program there and developing a new master's program. and. Uh, but I didn't feel that I was qualified yet in it, even though they keep telling me I am. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people, they go there, even though it's more expensive, but uh, they say that the learning experiences are different, but they also get more financial incentives in order for them to do so. And so we get a lot of people that are you know, shopping around and uh, just because of uh, all of the different costs that are involved in learning. And uh, UCM isn't that much different, but like I said, it's a lot less expensive compared to a lot of other schools. Mm, yeah, and that's definitely true. And one of the, I'm not going to say the main reason because I actually came here for the community and the fellowship that was available here. But you know, one of the main incentives, sort of, to come to UCM is that it's a little bit cheaper than other institutions as far as tuition and living expenses in the area goes. Correct. And so to have something where that that is the main appeal, or to some people it's the main appeal, like the main appeal is that it's actually inexpensive and affordable um, to then be like, well, 
except to you it's not affordable and to you it's barely affordable. You know, what does that look like that for an institution where that's one of sort of the driving reasons some people might be interested in going to it, that it's no longer that? Boy, that's a loaded question <laughs> or comment. Uh, um, I think that, you know, if the incentives are there for individuals uh, and depending upon what their goals are and, uh, and what purposes that they want to gain from their education and if the university provides that to them and they are satisfied, then they're going to continue with that education here. Um, and, uh, and that may attract them into other programs and even after they graduate or take the classes that they wanted to where they want to continue on and not stop it. Uh, I think if more financial incentives were there within the university is that um, the university could increase the student population uh, online and everything else and that uh, by about a, another 25, 30 percent. And especially right now after COVID, I know a lot of uh, universities have lost a lot of students. And, and now we're cutting back on some of the programs and faculty and uh, we're having to drop a lot of degree programs because of that. And so, you know, if we start looking at those financial incentives to bring students in, and, and attract them, uh, verbal alone is going to attract more people into coming into the program and, and to the university. And so we have growth all around, individually and at the university level. Hmm. And you have been experiencing that too as you've pushed the university to grow in some ways and that you, as you've grown yourself in some ways, including all these certificates that you've gotten. Now, I want to mention that you are soon to be deployed out to the, was it the coast uh, because of hurricane season? Uh, well, <laughs> we, uh, we thought we were going to be with uh, Hurricane Irma. Uh, it was supposed to go up into the Gulf and so I was looking at being deployed for that. But then it switched direction through Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands and the Dominican Republic. Uh, but yet we still also respond to those areas. Uh, primarily, uh, I'm involved with emergency communications. Mm -hmm. And so I would get shipped out to do that or possibly uh, be in an incident command post uh, leading others and, and directing operations and, and uh, or responses and in those areas that are, would be impacted. But uh, I'm going to be uh, shipped out here next Tuesday uh, to the southwest border in Texas. Uh, finally found that out yesterday for just nine days. Typically they want us there for like 21 days. And we'll be working uh, with those that have crossed the border and are waiting uh, to be, uh, let's say, transported to other locations and until they get their court hearings and things like that. And But we'll be helping to take care of them in, in what I call a camp or taking care of their belongings, things like this, and, and assisting them along the way. Hope that that goes all well and that you have a good time down there and are able to help a lot of different people. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with us today. Is there anything else you want to share? Just keep learning. <laughs> That's all I can say. And, uh, and don't look at uh, education as uh, currently if you're frustrated with 
you know, a, a certain course or a program in that, go speak to the faculty and directly and let them know how you feel and uh, and hopefully they can steer you to where you're feeling more comfortable and more happy with what you're doing. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, sir. Did you know that the University of Central Missouri has been leading innovation for nearly 150 years? With more accreditations and more qualified faculty members, our commitment to academic success is unparalleled, and we make sure every student receives the support they need to graduate on time and with less debt. So whatever opportunity you're looking for, make your impact sooner at UCM, with campuses located in Warrensburg, Lee Summit, and online. Find out more about UCM and the power of opportunity in action at ucmo.edu.